A large crowd was, sorry, we're reading from the book of Luke chapter 8 today, verses uh, 4 to 15. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 to 15. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told his parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop. A hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, good morning and a, and a happy, uh, happy belated Merry Christmas to everybody who's watching this at home and, and in the building here. Uh, I hope uh, a Merry Christmas from Alicia and I. I hope that everybody had a, a time to be together with family in some way or another, despite the strange circumstances that we're under this year, uh, and that you're able to sort of find some time to rest and recuperate as well. Um, We've uh, we've made it to the last Sunday of 2020, and in many ways this year has been certainly a year for the books, you could say, or maybe a, a better way to describe it would be as a train wreck, kind of like this picture. Uh, this uh, this year has been a major test for many of us uh, in many different ways. It's it's tested our ability to endure change, to endure fear, to endure isolation, to endure stress. Uh, many of us have, have been have been tested with uh, job loss, uh, financial setbacks, health challenges, and the loss of loved ones, and that's just to name a few things. It seems that we've been tested in almost every area of our lives this year. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, and I guess the test isn't over yet. The Bible tells us that tests in our lives can help us determine where our faith is at. And so I wanted to talk about this idea of testing a little bit this morning. 
Uh, in the engineering world, in the job that I came from, I was responsible for designing new products. Uh, to make sure that the products that we were designing would meet the demands of the customer, well, we just tested everything. Uh, and when you're testing new products, timeline is always a factor. Say, for instance, you want your new product to last for 10 years. Well, if that's the case, you don't have the luxury of testing it for 10 years to find out if it's going to work, because by the time you're done testing it, it's already going to be out of date. So to speed things up, many companies, including the one I work for, would use things, things called accelerated testing methods. Uh, accelerated testing usually just involves subjecting your product to a battery of testing uh, to, to impart like a lifetime's worth of abuse in a very short amount of time. A simple example might be that, say you want your product to be able to handle being dropped maybe once a week for 10 years and you want it to survive. So an accelerated test would be set up where you just drop the, the product 5,200 times in a row. And if it, if it lasts and makes it, then you know that it works. And if it doesn't, then you can make some changes and tweaks and, uh, and make the product better. And so these kinds of tests are really great because they save a lot of time and they can help you in a very short amount of time to gain a lot of confidence in your product and that it will meet the customer requirements. Where am I going with this? Well, I think in, in many ways, 2020 has been like an accelerated test for many of us. You know, it's, it's been like there's multiple years worth of stress and challenges all packaged up into one little year. And it doesn't necessarily need to be bad on all accounts, I guess is what I'm saying. I think in the same way that an accelerated test helps us to diagnose issues with designs, uh, an accelerated testing year like this one can also help us to diagnose issues with our faith in Jesus. It can show us some of the cracks and some of the weak points that we need to work on, and it gives us an opportunity to improve for the future. Uh, there are some things that you might have learned about yourself this year that you may never have learned even in a decade's worth of normal years. And sometimes that learning is painful, but we can learn nonetheless. And this is where I want to spend our time this morning. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, which Ray just read for us, uh, it has this masterful teaching from Jesus where he's teaching to a large crowd of followers who had gathered to hear him speak. And so he's been speaking about this thing called the parable of the sower. In it, Jesus talks about four different types of soils and how these types of soils represent different conditions of the human heart. And so sticking to our theme of accelerated testing, I've decided to call the lesson soil testing. Our goal this morning is to examine the soil of our heart in light of the test that we've been through in 2020 and so that we can look and improve, uh, we can look at our faith and improve for the year ahead. So let's get started with a little bit of background information about this parable. It shows up in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Luke is the one we're going to be working through this morning. Uh, and in the parable, there's three key elements. The first is the sower. And we learn it from Matthew's account that the sower is simply described as someone who sows the word of God. So this could be referring to Jesus, could be referring to the Holy Spirit, or it might even just be referring to any person who is out there sharing the word of God with someone else. The second element of the parable is more straightforward. In Luke 8.11, the Bible says that the seed is representing the word of God that is being spread. 
And finally, the last key element, is, which is where the parable spends most of the time focusing, is on the soil. There's four types of them, as I mentioned. And the soil represents the human heart. And more specifically, it represents the human heart's ability to bear a crop from the seed that is the Word of God. So the basic premise of, of what Jesus is saying in the parable is that there is a sower who goes out scattering the seed of the Word of God onto the soil of human hearts. And in each case, the same seed is being sown by the same sower, but depending on this type of soil that the seed falls on, the results vary considerably. Because the soil represents the human heart, this parable is really a lesson about the condition that the human heart needs to be in in order to properly receive the Word of God and respond to it by by bearing fruit. And so this morning, this is what I want to do. I want to work through the four types of soils with our goal being to reflect on how our faith held up in 2020. And my hope and prayer is that we can all spend some time in honest reflection with the backdrop of this parable in mind and this incredible teaching from Jesus. And then we can do some soil testing of our own hearts. And the goal, of course, isn't to dwell on the negatives, but instead it's so, it's so that we can help understand where our faith is at and what we've learned about ourselves this year so that we can improve and grow in the year ahead. So let's get started with the first soil in the parable here. The first soil, uh, like this picture is suggesting, comes from along the path. Here's, uh, here's what Jesus says about it in verse 5, which Ray just read to us. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on and the birds ate it up. And then later in verse 12, when Jesus is explaining what the parable means, he says this, Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. So do you see the problem here with the first type of soil? Jesus says that the seed just stays on the surface, you know, and then the birds come and eat it up because the soil was too hard for the seed to germinate. It couldn't get into the soil because the surface was just too hard. Does that hard-packed soil describe the condition of your heart towards the Word of God this year? Have there been times when you've come into contact with a message from the Word of God, but you just decided to do nothing about it? Jesus says that when our heart is in that hard condition, that Satan will just be all too happy to come and snatch the seed of God's Word away from us before it has an opportunity to take root and make a change in our lives. Have you seen evidence of a hard heart in your life this year? So maybe it would be a good idea to uh, define a couple of terms before we continue along with this. According to the Lexham Bible Dictionary, the word heart, uh, it comes from the Hebrew word lev and the Greek word cardia. And in both of those biblical languages, they actually have a very similar meaning. The word heart means the moral center of the human personality from which flow thoughts and emotions and actions and speech. So when the Bible is referring to the word heart or the human heart, it is talking more about, it's talking about more than just how we feel inside. It's referring to like the essence of who we are and what we stand for. The deep, uh, the deep convictions that we hold inside of us and, and everything that comes out of us based on those convictions. God wants his seed to access the very core of who we are. He wants it to get into that area of our lives. <clears throat> 
But the question is, are we allowing this to happen? Or is our heart too hard for the seed to penetrate? Hardness of heart is defined as well by the Lexham Bible Dictionary as a spiritual condition of persistent unresponsiveness to God and His Word. I think the key word there is unresponsive. The Bible describes a hard-hearted person as someone who does not allow God's Word to change them at the very core of who they are. Has this condition been true of you this year? I want to look at... uh, two examples from the Old Testament to try to help illustrate this. This idea of either being hard-hearted towards God's Word or soft-hearted. Uh, and in order to do that, as I mentioned, I want to look at Second Chronicles. And we're going to read about two different kings from the kingdom of Judah uh, from the 6th and century B.C. And these two kings are Josiah, who, who started to reign around 640 B.C., And Zedekiah, who came after him, he reigned around 597. So we're going to see when we look at these two kings that there's a stark contrast in the way that they responded to the word of God in their lives. So let's start with King Josiah. Uh, And as I mentioned, he was the king of Judah, just like the other king. And at the time that this, uh, what was going on in the background of, of this time when this was written was that King Josiah was repairing the temple of God. And I'm going to read from Second Chronicles 34, verse 14, verse 19, and then 31 to 33. So here's what it says. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. In verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. And now the reason he tore his robes was because when the word of God was read, he realized that there was so much idolatry in his kingdom. In verse 31, The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, his statutes and decrees with all his heart and with all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites. And he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Okay, so here we see how Josiah reacts to the word, the word of God in his life. This is a great example of someone, uh, someone whose heart is ready to be affected by God's word. He, he was conducting his kingdom in one way, and then when the word of God was read, uh, read to him and revealed to him, uh, when they found the book of the Lord, things changed. He changed everything in his kingdom almost immediately because he was cut to the core about it. Uh, And he made massive changes in this kingdom to better align it with God's will, as it says here in verse 33. In verse 31, I love this too, it says that Josiah put his whole heart and his whole soul into following God's word. And verse 33 reminds us that he held on to this conviction, not just for a moment, but for the rest of his life. King Josiah had a heart that was ready to be affected by God's word and deeply, not just in a, in a superficial way, he let the word of God sink deeply past the surface and into the core of who he was. And, and it came out in everything that he did. 
There was fruit being born. So I want to contrast this king, King Josiah, as I said, with another king just a couple of chapters later. This is King Zedekiah, and he came along a few kings after King Josiah. And we read about him in Second Chronicles 36, verses 11 to 16. Here's what it says. Zedekiah was 21 when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked and hard-hearted, sorry, and he hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Furthermore, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful, following the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, uh, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God, uh, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. So we see a very different picture here, right? A different picture from Zedekiah's life and how he responded to Jeremiah, the word of the Lord. It says that he did not humble himself. Uh, he hardened his heart and he would not uh, change his ways to align with the will of God. Verse 15 says that, he, that God had sent messengers to him and his people over and over. He sent messenger after messenger just trying to get them to, to sow that seed into the word of their heart. But it was no use. Their hearts were just too hard to accept it. And instead of following God's word and allowing it to sink in, they rejected it. And then they had to suffer the consequences. So the question is, is for us today, what about our hearts? Has our reaction to the word of God been like that of Josiah this year? Who is willing to change, you know, and and make um, uh, make changes in his life and his conduct based on God's word, or have we been more like Zedekiah and continued strongly on our own path, unwilling to turn to the right or left or to change or yield or do anything different than what we want to do? I heard a preacher share this in a sermon once, and it really stuck with me. He said. It's a very dangerous position to be in when you can hear a message from the Word of God and feel convicted that you need to change and then just go away and do nothing about it. I hope and pray that nobody listening to this is in that position right now. But what if we are? I mean, how do we soften our hearts if if we find that they are hard? In short, I think it has a lot to do with humility and it can show up in many ways but I want to read through a list of things that I, I came up with. These are just my thoughts. But I think that these things, if we're willing to do them, will help us to soften our hearts. And as I read through this list, just think about what it means to you. And if, it, if you find yourself cringing at some of these ideas, it might be an indication that you have a need to soften your heart. To soften our heart, we need to be willing to try new things. We need to be willing to get outside our comfort zones. We need to be willing to be desperate for God's help. You need to be willing to admit that you need help 
admit that you don't know it all, admit that you can improve, and that your faith has room for growth. We don't want to be stuck in a position where we're comfortable and we feel like we've reached a level that's satisfactory and we just ride that wave out. We need to be willing to change. We need to be willing to let our guard down and be vulnerable. Uh, Be vulnerable before other people and before God. We need to be willing to care more about uh, what God thinks of us and our and our ability to follow his word than just holding on to our own pride. Do these things challenge you? Are these things hard for you? We tend to get stuck in our ways, right? We get comfortable, we relax, and we lose the hunger that we need to continue growing. And I think this gets worse the longer and longer we've been Christians. We we get into a comfort zone where we just tend to feel like we're, we're doing okay and maybe it's not really worth putting in much more effort. We put our faith into maintenance mode and we maintain the status quo. But Jesus doesn't want the status quo. He wants change and he wants growth that continues every day. He wants renewal in our lives. And if we are going to be the types of Christians that he's calling us to be, we absolutely must have a soft heart towards the Word of God all the days of our life. This isn't optional. This isn't just for fanatic followers of Jesus. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So that was soil sample number one. Uh, And now I want to move on to the next one. The the second soil sample that Jesus describes here uh, is what he says in in verse uh, 6 of Luke 8. He says, Some soil fell, uh, some seeds, or it fell on rocky ground, And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. And then in verse 13, when he is describing it, he says that those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. They have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. So in Jesus' day, farming was probably one of the most well-understood uh, illustrations that you could use. You know, everybody knew about farming. A lot of people were involved in farming, and if they weren't farmers themselves, they at least understood the process of producing a crop. Today, we live in a society that where most of us are quite removed from farming, I think. And so we might not understand the significance of the rocky soil. Rocks were an issue in Jesus' time, and they're still an issue when it comes to farming today. Not only do rocks um, lead to poor yields because they reduce the nutrients in the soil and also the moisture in the soil, but also rocks are a bad thing because they prevent the plant from rooting into the ground and developing a deep root system, which is important uh, for a plant because it needs those deep roots to weather a drought or weather a storm, some kind of testing. Alicia and I got a first-hand lesson about the value of deep roots this year. As some of you know, we've been chipping away on a piece of property that we own uh, north of Selkirk. And this year, with the help of my family and some of our church family, we were able to put in the first stages of a driveway. Uh, But in order to do this, we had to knock down some trees, as you can see here. On our property, we've got a mixture of oak trees and poplar trees. And we found out uh, this year that... uh, that the the poplar trees have really shallow roots, uh, whereas the oak trees, it's quite different. They have very, very deep roots. And when we were making the driveway here, it was easy for us to push the poplar trees over. They kind of just popped out. 
uh, and we pushed them with the help of my uncle's skid steer. But then when it came to the oak trees, it was a different story. They were practically immovable because of their deep root system that ran into the soil. And this experience taught me about the value of deep roots. And Jesus points out in this parable that the rocky soil doesn't have a deep root system. It doesn't allow for a deep root system. And that's a problem because when a time of testing comes, and it will, the plants that don't have deep roots, well, they just they won't make it. So are there rocks in your soil this year? When the droughts and storms and tests came into your life in 2020, did you compromise on what you knew what was right? Was the seed deep enough in your, uh, in your heart to stay rooted during the storms? What did you learn about your personal commitment to the church during this time? What did you learn about your desire for personal spiritual growth through reading the Word, through praying, through being around other Christians? Did these things stop for you once the ball was in your court? When you had to rely on the depth of your own soil and not on those around you, uh, did you did you notice that you weren't able to keep up? We can learn something about ourselves when we have to rely on ourselves, I think. And this year might have been an eye-opener to many of us in that regard. It may have exposed many rocks that we didn't even know about. What did you learn about your commitment to Jesus this year? I love what Paul says about our commitment to Christ here in Romans 6. In verse 11 to 14, he says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not let any part of yourself, uh, sorry, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. So I love this scripture because it describes the sold out nature that God wants from us. He wants us to hold nothing back from his control and offer every part of who we are to him for his use. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, which is really Quite a major difference, if you think about it, to our major, de- our, our um, sorry, our uh, modern definition of what it means to be a follower of someone. It's so easy to follow someone today, right? We just click a button on social media, and then when well, we get some updates every time that person does something new, and it's sort of up to us, you know, we we're we're kind of a fan of them, so we get a notification, and then <clears throat> we can we can choose to check it out for a while if we want. Uh, Or if we don't want to, that's fine too. We can just sort of leave it alone for the next time. So we're a fan, but, you know, it's just sort of our choice whether or not we respond to what what, what the people are doing that we're following. Today we call this idea following somebody. But the idea that Jesus had in mind for his followers is much, much different. Let's look at what he says about people who want to follow him here in Luke 9, 23 and 24. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. In the parable of the sower, which we've been working through, 
The useful soil represents the part of your heart over which Jesus is Lord. And the rocks, on the other hand, represent those parts of your heart that are too hard and impenetrable for the seed. If the soil is, if the soil in our hearts is full of rocks, it means that there's parts of our lives that we're holding back from Jesus. And unfortunately, in our culture, I think that this type of faith has become the standard that so many people are willing to call Christianity. I'm not talking about individuals who are honestly struggling through issues and challenges. I'm talking about those people who are willing to settle for some cheap, watered-down version of what it means to follow Jesus, to be a Christian by name only, but it really shows up in no areas of their lives and it has no effect on their life. There's no fruit. Regardless of how we define it, Jesus says this about his the people who are following him and how we can differentiate them from others who aren't following him in Matthew 7. He says in verse 20 that those who are truly following him will be known by their fruit. In other words, we will stand out. People will see something. I wanted to share this quote from a man named Aristides. He's a, he's a dude from way back uh, in, in about uh, 125 AD is when he wrote this. He was an author and he converted to Christianity partway through his life. And this quote that I'm going to put up here is, is from a letter that he wrote to a, a Roman emperor during his time about the Christian faith. I like this quote quite a bit because it shows us something. It shows us a glimpse into the life of how the culture during the time perceived Christians, about what they thought about Christians in their culture and what they stood out for. Here's what the letter says. Christians love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If a man has something, he gives freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, Christians take him home and are happy as though he were a real brother. They don't consider themselves brothers in the usual sense, but brothers instead through the Spirit of God. And if they hear that one of them is in jail or persecuted for professing the name of their Redeemer, they all give him what he needs. And if it's possible, they bail him out. If one of them is poor and there isn't enough food to go around, they fast several days to give him the food that he needs. This is really a new kind of person. There is something divine in them. I love that last part especially. You know, this is, he's pointing out that these Christians are a new kind of person and there's something divine in them. These early Christians were known for exactly what Jesus said they would be known for. By their fruit, right? So what do you think? Would our culture say these same things about us today? I don't know. Oftentimes I think Christians today are seen as just the same as everybody else, except, you know, they go to church on Sunday. But is going to church on Sunday really what Jesus wants his church to be known for? I can't help but wonder if this is a symptom of having too many rocks in the soil of our heart. God wants to produce fruit in our lives that causes us to stand out to those around us, but it's only when we're ready to remove those hard spots in our, in our heart and give Him everything that we have in the soil of our heart that we're going to be able to produce the fruit that He wants to produce in us. So that's soil sample number two. Uh, two down and two to go. And so here's what Jesus had to say about the third soil type in, in Luke 8, 7. He said, uh, Other seed 
fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And then in verse 14, he explains it by saying that the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Jesus points out another soil problem that we might be more familiar with today, especially if we're into gardening. In this case, the seed uh, takes root for a little while, but it ends up getting choked out, like Jesus says here. The soil of our heart cannot keep both the weeds and the Word of God alive at the same time, and since the weeds spread much more readily than the fruit-bearing plants, our soil is quickly taken over, and any hope of us producing fruit is is quickly choked out by the weeds. Jesus points out that there's three different types of weeds that can take over our lives. He, he says that there's worries and riches and pleasures. And I want to just touch on each of them briefly. Many of us have learned firsthand this year how worry can overtake our lives. And it makes me think about the old saying, you are what you eat. Let me explain. Uh, there's been a lot of concern Uh, There's a lot of cause for concern this year. Every time we scroll through the news or we turn on TV, there's something new for us to worry about. And I've talked to a lot of people this year who've told me that their mental health has been under a serious strain and their spiritual health has been strained as well due to all the negativity and fear that's been given such a focus uh, and brought to our attention so much this year. And I think we can see that there's a spiritual application to the saying, you know, you are what you eat. Because God's word calls us to feed on him. And in Psalm 34, 8, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 4, 4. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So God's word calls us to feed on him. But if we're eating 10 meals a day of the bad news and the worries of this life and only maybe one meal a week of God's word, how on earth can we expect to not be overcome by the worries of life? If our soil is being overran by the things of this world that weigh us down, then it should come as no surprise when the weeds start popping up and choking out any hope of God's word producing fruit in our lives. We need to feed and feed often, more often on the Word of God than we are on the worries of this life. And I think the same concept is is applicable as well when it comes to what Jesus said the other weeds were, the riches and the pleasures. Let's look at the warning that we get here in, in 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10, about the riches and pleasures of this life. Here's what Paul said. To those who want to get ri- uh, sorry, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and into destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Using the resources of our soil to fill our lives with weeds, the weeds of money and things, it may feel natural because it may feel like it's bringing us fulfillment and and makes us feel useful. But in the end, though, the Bible describes the pursuit of riches and pleasures as a trap, a trap that will plunge us into ruin and destruction. 
Instead of applying our resources towards the kingdom of God, we will waste them growing weeds that have no lasting value. I think Jesus said it best in Luke 9.25 here when he said, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self? So as we talked about at the start of the lesson, 2020 has been like an accelerated test in many ways. What have you learned about your devote, uh, what have you learned about your devotion uh, to worries and riches and pleasures of this life this year? Have you lived and died with the ups and downs of the stock market? Has this year exposed that you have founded too much of your sense of identity and purpose in things like sports and entertainment and, and comfort and food and travel and work and the list could go on and on? Has 2020 caused you to realize that you are turning to the things of this world for comfort rather than the God who created you? Answering these questions honestly can, I think, really help us identify the weeds that need to be pulled from our hearts. And so now on to the the fourth and final soil. The final soil test is from the good soil. And this is what Jesus said about the good soil in Luke 8.8. Still other seed fell on the good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And then in verse 15, he explains what he means. He says, But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. Jesus says that the good soil is the soil uh, is the the soft-hearted soil that allows for the seed of God's word to sink deeply into our hearts. The soil has also been picked clean of all the rocks and hard spots so that the seed can get really deeply in there. And it's also the soil uh, that has been picked free of all the weeds. There's no competition for the seed of God's word. It's free to grow. And there's no weeds that are vying for the nutrients that our soil has to offer. If we want to be the good soil, we have to be willing to accept God's word deeply into our hearts, not just superficially and on the surface. It needs to affect the very core of who we are. We need to allow him to access the part of our lives that are impenetrable as well by removing those rocks from our heart. And we also need to get rid of the weeds of worry and unhealthy pursuits of riches and pleasures that are stealing our energy and resources. The good soil represents the person who allows God's word uh, to affect and change every area of their lives. And once they get it in, they hold it tight. They hold it fast. The good soil also describes someone with an honest and good heart. The honest part is interesting, and I think it's really important. If we want to be the good soil, we have to be honest with where we're at, with ourselves. We have to take an honest look at our lives. And this is really the reason that I wanted to talk about this parable together this morning. We're at the end of a a tough year, and this is a good time for reflection. And we've got the opportunity right now to learn something about ourselves as we think back over this year. If we can reflect with an honest heart, we will be able to see where we need to focus our efforts in the year to come. And Jesus also points out that the good soil perseveres in bearing fruit. Perseverance, I think, is such an important trait of the good soil as well. 
taking an honest look at ourselves can feel overwhelming, especially if we see that there's a lot of work to do. But it's important for us not to get discouraged. Transforming the soil of our heart is not something that's going to happen overnight. It's a lifelong effort, and it really never ends. You know, each day we might find a new hard spot, a new rock, a new thorn to pull, and it may be daunting, but we have to remember that we have help from God himself, and we also have the help from our brothers and sisters around us. And it's an important thing just to make sure that we start to persevere, take it one weed, one rock, and one hard spot at a time, and don't give up. So which soil were you in 2020? For many of us, the answer will not be as simple as choosing one of the four. We might have noticed that we are a mixture of all four types of soil. 2020 has been a tough year, but in some ways there is a silver lining because we can learn things about ourselves that we may never have otherwise learned. The real question for us to reflect on this morning is what kind of soil do we want to be in 2021? I'm sure that for the most of us, the the answer is that we want to be the good soil. But how are we going to get there? What are we going to do to make sure that happens? If 2020 has proven anything, it's that we need to help each other in this walk. And and we're reminded of this in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 where Paul says, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. If we want to become the good soil, we need God's help. We need perseverance, yes, but we also need the help of one another as we grow together in our ability to follow Christ. Working to grow ourselves and those around us into the image of Jesus is really the essence of what it means to make disciples. And I believe growing into the image of Jesus is probably one of the most important things that we can focus on in the church because it will affect every area of our lives. It will affect the way we raise our kids. It will affect the way we treat our spouses. It will affect the way that we treat one another in the church. It will affect what we do with our time, with our money, with our resources and our talents. And if we're trying to grow into the image of Jesus with all of our hearts, then every area of our life and every relationship in our life is going to be affected for the better. And this is why we've decided to focus on discipleship in 2021. We need to be willing to encourage each other and build one another up, as this verse says. And in 2021, we're going to apply this concept to ourselves as as individuals and also as a group so that we can help one another and those around us become that good soil for the glory of God. Wherever you're at along this journey, and however easy or hard this year has been for your faith, I want you to know that I'm here to support you. If you want to learn more about Jesus or what it means to follow him, uh, please come and talk to me. Or please reach out and, and, and find me on, on email, text, phone call. If you need some help with pulling weeds or picking rocks or tilling the soil of your heart, I'd be happy to get involved with that as well. I'd love to help you with that. Please feel free to reach out and contact me. We're going to end off with a song this morning called Purify Thy Heart. Or sorry, Purify My Heart. Uh, to continue along with the, the metaphor that Jesus is using in the parable, This song is a prayer where we ask God to come in and purify the soil of our hearts. 
I hope that the song gives us a chance to reflect on this past year and draws us into a deeper commitment to Christ in the year to come. Thank you for your time.